Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we are going to talk about the challenges of being a journalist in an increasingly hostile environment for journalism. Um, we have with us in studio USU journalism student Emily White, and we're going to hear her podcast episode titled The People Behind the Byline. This segment includes interviews from professional reporters as well as personal reflections from Emily about her decision to become a journalist despite her parents' dislike of the profession and warnings from professionals about how hard it can be. Following uh, listening to that uh, podcast episode, we're going to uh, continue conversation with uh, Emily White and we'll bring in USU Associate Professor of Journalism, Matthew LaPlante. Uh, so we do have in studio with us uh, Emily White. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. This is an awesome opportunity. Happy to be here. Uh, so before we jump into your uh, podcast episode, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're from Utah? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Kaysville primarily, yeah. came to Utah State to get a degree in English, and then I ended up double majoring and getting a degree in journalism as well. Okay. And why the change from English to journalism? Because I'm too practical yeah. for my own good. <laughs> I just knew that um, graduating in English, it's hard to get something um, that you really want. English was kind of my fun degree. Yeah. And journalism was my practical one. And I ended up falling in love with it. So. Oh, great. Great. Um, and this is uh, this podcast episode was made for a class, right? Matthew LaPlante's podcasting class, I think. right? Yes. Yeah. I call it my selfish project because I'm graduating. So I was nervous about what I was going to be doing. And I was like, what better way to calm my nerves than to, than to talk to other journalists who have been in my position? Interesting. Well, I'll ask, I'll, I'll save the question until afterwards, uh, whether it calmed your nerves or not. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm skeptical maybe that it did, given the content of the podcast. Uh, well, let's jump in. Let's hear this. Um, anything you want to say to set it up? Uh, not really. I feel yeah. like it says it all. <laughs> yeah, very good. This is about 25 minutes. Uh, this is USU journalism student Emily White. The, uh, the podcast episode is titled The People Behind the Byline. As a journalist, it's really hard for me to go home at Christmas and hear my parents bash on basically every news network under the sun, particularly the ones that post articles that go against my parents' beliefs or their political affiliations. It's just, it really is difficult for me to be made aware every time I go home how my parents don't trust the people who are in the career field that I'm going into. They don't trust journalists. My name is Emily White. I'm a senior studying journalism at Utah State University. I've worked for the university paper, the Utah Statesman, for three years. But as my time at Utah State comes to an end, I found myself getting more nervous about working at a weekly newspaper that isn't a school paper. So I decided to ask a few journalists about their experiences in the field just to get a better perspective and to be more prepared for when I get into the real world. The press is often called the fourth estate. 
That's Kelly Cannon, the news planner at the Salt Lake Tribune. She worked as a web manager and monitored the comments for the Tribune for four years. You know, if we have, if you have your three branches of government, then the press is the fourth state because they are the ones that keep everyone else in check and, and you know, making sure that the public knows what mm-hmm. is going on. Um, my mentor told me that there are three purposes of journalism to tell the truth, to challenge authority and to serve the people. And um, when, if, and that's our whole purpose and everything that we do. Um, and so when people attack us and say, well, they're just not true and they're just like biased and they're not telling the whole picture or they're like being purposely neglectful, um, it, in, it keeps us from being able to do our job because we can report the most true and accurate story ever. But if you know people have been trained not to believe us, it won't matter. We are the only profession that is mentioned in the Bill of Rights as being a protected profession. Like we are guaranteed that a government entity will not, you know, keep us from talking and like keep us from reporting the facts. Like that's, it's, it's huge. And I think like, I, like, I always joke about how, you know, I think sometimes journalists, we get caught up in this grandiose idea of like, you know, freedom of the press and we can do everything. But at me, I think journalism is more effective when you're just reporting on your community and you're reporting on things that affect real people and how it has a profound impact on those people. Like I got into journalism because I wanted to help people. Um, I always knew I wanted a career where I was helping. And for me, finding stories that affect real people and because of that story, we are able to affect real positive change in the community. That's what matters to me. Can you think of any specific comments that you like remember to this day? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, the first time I was called the C word, that stuck with me. Like that really jolted me. Uh, I've been called a whore. I've been called the B word. I've been called a slut. I've been called a dumb B. I've been called a might all fascist. That was one of my favorite ones. Sorry, I have a, like I kept a uh, file on my computer because they wanted me to keep track of everything in case anything ever escalated to like the point we needed to get the police involved. Let me reiterate that Kelly kept a list of all the names that she was called in case police involvement was necessary. That's how bad some of the comments were. Cowardly censor, smelly Kelly. That one's a really, really childish one. My brother called me that growing up. Um, single cell brained, up snowflake. I get called a snowflake all the time. That would bother me. Um, middle finger to Kelly would be like, but that's the other thing is people would change their usernames to be personal attacks against me. If you listen closely, you can slowly hear Kelly getting discouraged and a little bit sad. Even though she's found humor in some of the comments, they still have an effect on her. Kelly is ludicrous. Kelly, you are so stupid. Um, I got called Hitler a lot. Kelly is effing stupid, single digit IQ canon. The stuff that actually like really got to me was when people would basically call the Tribune like fake news or would say like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're terrible. Like 
like they would go, people would go out of their way to go onto our website to tell us how terrible we are. Everyone here at the Salt Lake Tribune, um, I can only speak from my experience, but I, all of my colleagues, all of the people I know here care so much about their jobs and care so much about doing the right thing. And to have someone come out and just be dismissive and just like personally attack us, that that's what hit me. Why do you think people comment those things? You can hide behind a persona that's not really you. Um, that kind of allows you, gives you permission to be a terrible human being. And you would never be that way in person. And the fact that people think, think that is okay boggles my mind. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Our email account is Gmail-based, and so people can send text to that. Camilla Mortensen is the editor-in-chief at the Eugene Weekly. Even though the Eugene Weekly isn't an objective news source, Camilla still gets hate mail. So I'll get these sort of like texts from people's phone numbers um, that'll say something like truly bizarre, like um, the anti-vax contingent gets really over the top and they'll sort of send these like, you know, you need to stop this or I'm going to come up here and kick your ass type of message. And I'm like, oh, come up here. Let me Google your phone number. Oh, I see you're in San Francisco. Oh, okay. So you're reading our newspaper and making threats from hundreds of miles away and you're too dumb to realize I can just search out your phone number because you sent it through text um or there was another one I was sitting home at night checking my email and someone had texted you liberal I talked with Camilla for about an hour and she's a lovely person so at this point I'm thinking if Camilla gets these kind of comments what kind of comments am I going to receive I did a story years ago on um, natural gas and um, basically it was about natural gas, gas pipelines and that type of thing. And um, my then editor at the time got this irate phone call from the PR person at the natural gas company. And she's just going, I'm sitting in the other room, I can hear it. And she's just going off on him. And he was very good about active listening. So he's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then I hear him say, but that was in the story. And then I hear him, no, that was in the story too. And finally he says, did you read the story? And she says, no, I just saw the picture you used. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And I so appreciate it. Like his, his first response wasn't like, you know, obviously my reporter screwed up. Let me fix this. He was just sort of like, let me listen to what you think the problem was. And then he had absolutely no issue pointing out with her. Like, so that problem was not actually there. Um, and I see that a lot with my reporters. So I'm like, when you get the angry email, when you get the phone call, listen first, establish what their issue was and see if there actually is a mistake there. I'm not unfamiliar with that type of criticism. In March of 2021, I did a story for the Utah Statesman about a USU student who was asked to leave Oak Ridge apartments following an admission to a hospital for mental health reasons. In the article, I wrote, at Olivia's request, her roommates will stay anonymous. She did not provide their contact information for comment. I wasn't expecting the article to be controversial, but I received several emails from people upset at what I had wrote. In fact, I had one person in particular who told me that I was a bad journalist and that the article should be taken down. To them, the reason I was a bad journalist was because I didn't include the roommate's perspective, even though there was already a disclaimer in the article that I couldn't reach out to the roommates. Why do you think people have stopped trusting journalists? 
the distrust in the media has some is something that has grown um, over just like the past four or five years. Um, it's something like the term fake news came about when Donald Trump started using the term fake news. And um, when you think about it, it's um, if someone back, you know, historically, if someone disagreed with something in a newspaper or in a news outlet, they would attack the story, you know, be like, this isn't true, blah, blah, blah. And then because that's kind of been the standard operating procedure, um, newspapers and news outlets got really good at uh, combating that being like, nope, this is, these are our facts. These are our resources. You know, they were able to be like attacks on our reporting. They were able to, you know, counteract that. And so when you can't attack the reporting, then you attack the reporter, you know, and then you just say, well, that, that whole organization isn't true, you know? And so it's something that news outlets were just not used to. Um, it was, it's something that, um, how can you just like disregard an entire news outlet? And I think that's kind of what has built upon this distrust of the media of um, you can't attack the facts. So let's attack the person reporting the facts. And if you disregard, if you discredit them, then what they're saying is discredited. And um, it's, it's, it was a very, very calculated, intentional move um, to bolster up people's uh, personas, you know, in the minds of the, if the media is being like, hey, look how bad this person is, you say, oh, well, that reporter's a liar, then everything they say is lies. And therefore, you know, you can say whatever you want about yourself. Of course, there's just so much distrust, not only in the media, but I think just in the world that it creates, you know, a whole other sub subsection of just difficulty. That's Sydney Daly. When I interviewed her, Sydney was a reporter for the Herald Journal, but she has since quit. She graduated from Utah State University last year and has a lot to say about her job. That does get frustrating and make things hard because it kind of, I think for me, it kind of just makes me feel down. Like, oh, I can't do anything right. Or, oh, people are expecting, you know, something that will make both sides happy. It's like you can never make both sides happy. You'll never be able to please everyone. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, it's like once you realize that, it kind of just gets uh, pessimistic. At least I get kind of pessimistic and cynical about the world and the way people are. There have been times where I'm talking and they're like, oh, hi, how are you? How can we help you? And then as soon as I say, hi, my name's Sydney, I'm with the Herald Journal, it's like an instant light switch. Like now they're moody and upset and they don't want to talk to me. Yeah. And I think it's frustrating for me personally because I like to think I'm, I mean, I try very hard to be a nice person. I take a lot of, I value, you know, um, kindness and uh, gratitude and stuff like that a lot. And so it is frustrating for someone to perceive me as evil and, dis, or, you know, dishonest because I am in a profession that um, sometimes, you know, tells the truth about people and people don't like the truth <laughs> yeah. if they do bad things. When you went, when you got the job, mm -hmm. you were excited, right? Yeah, totally. And, and now you're not enthused. Yeah, I'm not enthused because, I don't know, there's just people I talk to. It's always like, why do you guys make us look bad? Or sometimes there's stories that I have to write about um, that I'm not exactly thrilled to have to write about. Sydney goes on to tell me that she's not confrontational, which can make being a reporter difficult. I, I like to have nice conversations and mm -hmm. I don't. You know, sometimes people say things that maybe they didn't mean to say, or I just, I think people deserve empathy and I think people deserve second chances. For me, it's like, I just want a job where I don't want 
people to just think I'm bad because that's the job I work in. The more I talk to journalists like Sydney, Kelly, and Camilla, the more I'm finding that that pessimism is not uncommon. This actually happened when I was an intern. So this was like, oh my gosh, it was, I was, uh, it was back in 2018 and I was 21 years old. That's Corinne LaRue. She hosts the California Ag Today show on the Ag Info Network. And the, um, there, there's a, a bill called the Farm Bill, but it's a, it's a package that gets renewed. Um, it's a legislative package, pretty much, that gets renewed and, and re-voted on every four years. And so it's funny, we're actually, this is, we're working on the next Farm Bill right now in the, in the, uh, in the Capitol. This was the first time that the Farm Bill failed out of the House in a really long time because there was, there was issues with the supplemental nutrition program. Um, and I remember following, his name was uh, Colin Peterson, and he was the uh, chair for the uh, Democratic uh, Ag Committee. And I remember saying, you know, what's your reaction? Or no, it, it had failed. And then this was the day that it had passed. And Democrats were freaking pissed about it. They were so mad that it passed when it did. And um, and I remember talking, you know, I, I was doing a, a running gun. And I remember putting my uh, putting my my mic up to this guy's, you know, face a little bit. And I, you know, said, uh, Congressman, do you have any comment on on the bill that just passed on the House floor? And he goes, Well, what bill? And I was like, the farm bill and he, like, he walked off the floor off the house floor right then and there it was very obvious i was asking about the farm bill so corinne followed him off the floor and i said do you like i think at first i said do you have uh you know congressman do you have time for comment and he goes not for you and like looked at me and, like looked me up and down like not for you and i like just kept walking you know with them and and i was like well do you um do you have any comment on the bill that just passed on the floor and he was like, what, Bill? At this point, Corinne, in my mind, should be much more frustrated at this congressman who is talking down to her. But she remains persistent. And I remember chasing him down the steps of the Capitol. And I had, like, I had actually had to go back in and, and like, recheck in through security and get, like, rescanned in because I ran out of the Capitol chasing this congressman with a mic in his, in his hand, in his face. And I, and I just said, you know, what's your comment? And he's like, I, I'm, we're pissed. We're, you know, we're super, whatever the hell he said. And, um, and I remember like, at one point he just stopped talking to me, you know, and he gave me a good comment, but he was so mad. And, um, and right before he stopped talking to me, he was like, I don't need to talk to you. Like, um, get your mic out of my face, stuff like that, where he was just obviously like degrading me in my position and my job. And I remember like, okay, you know, thinking, okay, I got some comment, like I'm good. And I turned around and, and I was an intern. And so one of the full-time journalists um, that he, he, he like worked on, you know, environmental stuff. And he was part of the same company that I was, that I was interning for. And I turned around and I was like, kind of like, oh, I got comment. And he just looked at me like, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Because it was so, he he was so, the congressman was so upset at me and was like, like yelling at me.
After she graduated from USU, Corinne worked as a bureau chief in Washington, D.C. She told me about a press conference she attended where President Trump openly berated reporters for some of their questions. And I remember during that actual press conference, every chance he got, I mean, he went after he went after CNN, he went after Reuters, and then when Fox would raise their hand, you know, the Fox would ask about Hunter Biden, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't berate the Fox reporters. Coming away from one of my first times in the White House, I just remember thinking like, oh boy, like I felt in over my head because I was like, there's no way I'm going to ever be able to get, you know, my point across. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to, to actually, you know, do a story that, that I'm going to get real you know, candid answers, um, especially from the president of the United States. He, he was, he was a hard fish to catch. And so, uh, yeah, that, that experience was quite interesting and, um, a little deterring, a, a little, a little, you know, like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do this? The stereotypes that come with being a journalist didn't just affect Corinne in a professional setting. A lot of individuals who are in Washington, DC are there in a professional, um, in a professional position. And so they're always kind of going, well, you're a journalist. So I, I don't want to let anything slip over happy hour, you know, and have you turn around and, and I was just like, Hey, I'm an agriculture reporter. So if it's not on my beat, I'm, I don't have the platform to, to produce a story. In addition, like I'm a TV reporter. And so if, if, unless you, you have a, you know, juicy something super juicy, uh, like, I'm not gonna, I need to pull my camera out, you know, I need to be able to get you on camera saying things. During her time as a reporter in DC, Corinne had problems with politicians and peers taking her seriously. So at this point, I can't help but wonder why she stayed. It turns out she quit her job in DC and took a break from journalism. According to Corinne, she didn't think she would ever do it again. So the question is, why journalism? Why are you still working as a journalist? I'm here at the Salt Lake Tribune because I believe that journalism matters. That's Kelly Cannon. The freedom of the press matters. And when people would attack us for just doing our jobs, that really hurt. And I would have to, every now and then I'd have to take like a break where other people would have to step in and be comment moderator. Cause I was like, I just need a few days where I don't see it. I just can't see it anymore. I've always been a seeker of truth. That's Corinne LaRue. When I was younger, I drove my parents freaking crazy because I would, I was that five-year-old that wanted to know why, well, why does it do that? Why? I've mm. always been like, you know, if my parents said like, oh, well, you're not getting dessert tonight. I would like try to negotiate with them. Like, and I've always been like that. And so journalism was, it was, it was a natural, it was, it was a natural path for me to go down when it comes to things like all the way back to like the Pentagon papers and, um, Watergate and stuff like that. That's really where journalism, I feel like it had this, like, you know, like the, the Batman sign, the Batman sign, you know, where it's like, Mm -hmm. we like, it's like the world and society needed that they needed journalism they needed the press and it's just always been a very like honorable cause for me I fell in love with the journalism code of ethics that 
that having pride in what you're doing is real and true and and it's serving their community. There's nothing I love more than like teaching and learning. That's Sydney Daly. Mm -hmm. And I think learning is a really big part of journalism, which I love because it's like school, but I don't have to do all the homework. Yeah. <laughs> I just get to learn about cool things and then I go home and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Now I get to write this cool, cool story and share it with people and, and you know, kind of introduce a topic to them that maybe they didn't know about. I really wish that I could tie this up nicely, but there really isn't a resolution here. I could tell you that I don't care that my parents ultimately are probably forever going to stand by their claims that journalists don't do a good job. And I wish I could tell you that all of the mean comments that I'm going to get and all of the mean comments that you heard have been said to journalists are not going to hurt me. But as you could hear in Kelly's voice, the comments are always going to hurt. I really wish that journalism wasn't like this. I really wish that people wouldn't call reporters terrible names. I wish that that wasn't the case, but Unfortunately, it is, and I know that I'm going to have sleepless nights because of it. I know that it's going to affect me probably every day, and I'll probably get better at handling it. I hope that I'll get better at handling it like Kelly has. I just, at the end of the day, even though I know that I'm stepping into a field that's going to hurt my feelings... I want to do that because I value the truth and I think that even if people are going to make fun of me or call me names, they deserve the truth and I'm willing to give that to people regardless of how they treat me. So I'm going to I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a journalist and it's going to be really hard and that's a really hard thing for me to accept. That's just the truth of the situation. That's the truth for every reporter across the globe, is that you will face criticism every day and have to decide if you want to keep going, if you want to continue serving people who are not respectful to you for the sake of truth. That's the hard choice that journalists and reporters have to make. You're listening to Access Utah. We just heard a podcast episode titled The People Behind the Byline. Uh, that was uh, from Emily White, who is a USU journalism student. We have her in studio. And uh, following a break, we'll also be joined on the telephone by Utah State University Associate Professor of Journalism Matthew LaPlante. We'll be talking about the challenges of being a journalist in an increasingly hostile environment for journalism. Uh, so we'll continue this discussion following this break. 
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have with us in studio USU journalism student Emily White. We just heard uh, prior to the break her podcast episode titled The People Behind the Byline. And uh, she continues uh, with us. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Wonderful segment there. Thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, we bring in USU Associate Professor of Journalism Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Tom. Good to be here again. Thanks. So, Emily White, just to reset the scene, this podcast was for Matthew Matthew's uh, podcasting class. Yeah, right? it was. And then uh, Matthew DePlante uh, forwarded this on to us and said, hey, I got this great student and this wonderful podcast, <laughs> so we appreciate him doing that. Um, so you told us before we heard that that you – you originally were an English major, and then you got practical and decided you had to actually make a living. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing the English department getting mad at me right now. But anyway, um, so um, what did you what did you think going in before you had some experiences, before you talked to some of these journalists? Um, was it all idealism, or did you have, have some awareness of some of the pitfalls here? Before, like taking my first journalism classes, I just was thinking, I need to get a job. Like, that was my perspective. So I actually started in broadcast, and I found out that that was not my thing. Um, But while I was doing the broadcast program, I was writing things for the Statesman and doing that work. uh, And that's kind of where I fell in love with it. And then I was like, okay, print is my place because it's more writing, um, more my thing. Um, and then everything, like my my whole perspective on journalism shifted a lot. Very good. Uh, I do want to have you talk about your parents. That's an interesting twist here. But, but before <laughs> that, uh, before I do that, uh, Matthew LaPlante, you, of course you have a, a lot of students go through every year. Uh, uh, um, what do they... How do they seem? What do they say when they come in? I guess it's it's idealism, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's often early on when people first fall in love with this field, there's a lot of idealism. They use words like changing the world and um, making a difference and, you know, giving voice to the voiceless and all these things that journalists, uh, you know, we, we tell ourselves a lot uh, or try to tell ourselves a lot to keep our heads up. Um, and then there is often this switch that happens usually, you know, around the time that they get their first internship and they work professionally for the first time, um, where reality sets in and they realize that all of those things that they're talking about, there's still opportunities to do those things, but they're set against this morass of negativity toward their profession. Um, and they have to they have to juggle that along with the messages that they hear, wrongful messages, I should say, uh, about the idea that there's no jobs for them out there, which is absolutely not true. We, we place our graduates in journalism jobs all the time. Um, but But, yeah, reality sets in, and it is really... It's it's eye opening for a lot of these students, and some of them don't recover from it. From it, some of them say it's too much, it's too hard. 
I'm going to go do something else. And, and that's an understandable decision, given the toxicity that exists out there. So, Matthew, I want to follow up. So, uh, as a professor, you're, you're trying to help them to learn. You want them to, you know, have their eyes open going to this profession. Um, there's some positives, too, I would imagine you would say. So, how do you help them uh, through that through that journey of discovery, which, you know, which, which can have some pain to it? Yeah, and, and I think the thing is, is that what we do if we're really doing our jobs as professors who are preparing students for professional careers is to give them as many opportunities as possible to see the true nature of what the work really looks like. And that includes the bad stuff. That includes the hard stuff. That includes the stuff that keeps you up at night and, you know, makes you look in the mirror and and ask yourself why you're doing this again and again. Because the worst thing that I could possibly do to these students is to pump them up full of idealism without the commensurate reality of the difficult part of, of all of this. And if they come out of that and they decide, well, I'm just not going to go into a career in journalism, that's actually okay. Their degree, what we've trained them to do, is translatable to so many, so many other careers. Um, but if they come out of it and they say, I, I know what it's going to be like, but I'm going to do it anyway, that's the best, really the best case scenario. Um, because they're ready, they're prepared, they understand. And even then, they'll tell you, I mean, uh, Emily interviewed one of my former students who had to take a break from this. Even then, sometimes it can be just too overwhelming, even if they do have their eyes wide open when they go in. So, Emily, uh, what's what's your feeling having interviewed these journalists? Right, you you had some own, your your own experiences with the Statesman, for mm-hmm. example. Um, pushback, and as as uh, let's see, I think as Sydney says, you can't please everybody. And she realized, hey, I'm a I'm a non confrontational personality, so yeah, maybe then I shouldn't be <laughs> in this profession. Yeah, but what what what's your feeling coming through this, having talked to about hard experiences with some of these journalists? Yeah, it's definitely terrifying, I would say. Um, But I am so glad that I did this project because I have such a better understanding of what the job is because I've talked to people who are doing it right now. Um, And also, there's just, they like after all of my interviews, I because I got increasingly nervous after every single one. I was like, do you have like advice for me? And they all gave me similar pieces of advice of like, just like do it because you love it. Like keep on keeping on. It's going to be hard. It's going to be brutal. Take time for yourself when you need it. Um, but the, the work is important, which I appreciated because I have that passion for, for journalism. You said you, you, several of the people, you, you asked them, um, you know, why are you doing this? Kelly said freedom of the press matters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney referenced teaching and learning. You, you, you talked about how you value the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing for me is I, I think people deserve the truth and journalism is where they're going to get it. Yeah. So that leads me into your parents. 
Um, you, <laughs> you and your parents disagree over what truth is, right? We do. Which is, and you're kind of a microcosm of a lot of families out there, yeah. our society as, as a whole. Mm. Talk about that for a little bit. That's you, At the very beginning of the piece, you said, well, it's hard to go home and hear about the profession I'm going into is, mm-hmm. you know, is horrible. Yeah. And it's getting harder. I will say that. Um, I... I just recently got offered a job at a paper, and I told my parents a couple of days after the fact. So my friends knew before my parents did, partially just because of this relationship that I have with them. Um, And I told them, um, and you know, they were like, good job, like getting a job is good. And then I, I was telling you before, my dad texted me last night, late last night, and he said, there are English teaching positions in Davis <laughs> School District. And I just, I, it's it's hurtful. It's so hurtful because it feels like, one, they don't want me to do what I'm doing. And two, they don't trust me to do what I'm doing. Yeah. And to kind of, you know, to get my own jobs and to, to go and fly <laughs> and do my thing. Um, and it's really frustrating just because you know, I I know so many people whose parents support them in whatever they're doing and whatever aspirations they have, and I just don't feel like I have that. That must be, I mean, there's an overlay of difficulty here, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of parents are worried. Yeah. Hey, is Emily going to be able to make a living, et cetera, right. et cetera? But, but with, in your case, and you're probably not the only one, um, they just don't believe in the profession you're going into, right? Yeah, it kills me every time. In fact, I, I started going home less because of it, because I couldn't take it. Like, every time I go there and I would tell them, I don't want to talk about this. Like, let's just not talk about journalism while I'm here. Let's just not talk about the news. But every time they bring it up and then it's like a two, three-hour discussion that I don't want to be a part of because I know that you know there's nothing good to come out of it for me it's just more feeling like okay well this is what i'm doing and you don't like that i'm doing it so yeah well uh, congratulations on your job offers you have Thank a you. couple job offers uh, at least a job offer and another one uh, maybe pending yeah um so uh, matthew laplante uh, i want to get your take on this uh, emily's maybe not the only one i'm guessing <laughs> Um, it's it mm-hmm. a conflict yeah. in, in the home right over this, right? Because, because of the rise of, you know, even, um, uh, exacerbation, right. Of, of skepticism about journalism. Yeah. The, I, there's been a real turn for the worse, I think, in the relationships my students have with their parents over their career choices. When I, when I first started teaching, at university about 11, 12 years ago, the concern was jobs. It was like, they, oh, my parents don't think I'm going to be able to get a job. They don't think I'm going to be able to support myself if, if I'm a journalist, which, again, I'll say, like, is, is not true. Our students get great jobs. Um, and then right around the time of uh, President Trump's candidacy, and the rhetoric really ramped up, uh, you know, against the evil media empire, you know, the evil media, the, the media is the enemy of the people, this kind of thing. And, 
And, you know, being in Utah and the Mountain West, where most of our students come from, is a conservative part of the country, and many of my students, they themselves are conservative oftentimes, but even more often they have conservative parents uh, who were swept up in this, and swept up in this in such a powerful way that it made them distrust their children and dislike their children's passions in a way that I, I hadn't seen up until that point and was, you know, I have a lot of students like Emily who tell me they can't talk to their parents about what they want to do with their lives. And it's heartbreaking. And so one of the things that I've realized in the last few years that I have to be, or that I want to be for these students is their cheerleader because they're not getting that from their own parents. And that's, that's not easy for me. I think Emily will tell you, and a lot of students will tell you, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty tough teacher. I like to whack them around real good, <laughs> figuratively speaking, of course. Um, but they need that. They need somebody to tell them, you know what, you're making a great decision for you, and you're doing something that's going to give your life meaning. And it's going to be hard, but I'm going to be here for you. And um, and I guess that's just the role that I need to be playing right now. I hope I'm playing. I hope I'm doing that well for my students. Hmm. So, Emily, um, you, you talked about you value truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew talked about uh, you, know, you change the world. It, there's you know meaning in it, right? There's a, a lot of meaning in the career you're going into, contemplating. Mm-hmm. Do you feel an extra responsibility in these times where, where a lot of people, um, uh, you know, go for alternative facts, quote unquote, right? Uh, yeah. There, there's the extreme skepticism about uh, what used to be kind of uh, shared truth. Uh, do, you, do you feel extra responsibility? Yeah, I definitely do, and uh, part of that's just like my training at USU, I feel really grateful to all of my professors who have really helped me be more careful in my reporting um, and and recognize that, you know, I, I am the person that uh, is supposed to be giving people the truth. And there's a lot of responsibility with that. And um, I best case scenario i want a situation where if people are criticizing me i can read the comments and say none of this is because my facts are incorrect it's all because of political bias or dislike for me or whatever else which has happened to me before where i've looked through and been like okay none of these comments are actually about factual issues or misinformation in my piece so that means i'm doing my job yeah. One of the people you interviewed says when you can't attack the report, you attack the reporter, right? Yep. You attack the entire organization. Mm-hmm. You try to say, oh, the entire organization's bad, false, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, still, knowing that, uh, 
kind of hard not to take it personally, especially with the tax <laughs> directed at you, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would, yeah. I, I still, I've, I'm probably going to be thinking about it for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's crazy to me. It is really sad, and it's definitely going to hurt my feelings. Yeah. You're trying to steal yourself for that, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, so tell me again, uh, you talked to each of these uh, journalists, uh, you know, about the pitfalls, but you said you also asked for some advice. So tell me tell me some more about what, what they said, what they've learned in terms of, I don't know, self-care, how to shield yourself, or, you know, I don't know, whatever they said. Yeah, yeah. So Kelly Cannon told me something interesting um, that I'm really grateful to her that she told me this. Um, she said, when you're starting out, a lot of times you jump in too deep and you, you do the extra hours and, you know, you work to the bone and um, really kind of burn yourself out because you're wanting to do a good job and you're like you have that passion. Um, but because of the nature of the job and how people are going to treat you, you have to kind of go in a little bit slow, slower than your instinct would be. My instinct would be I'm working whenever my boss needs me. Like I'm, I'm going to work weekends. I'm going to whatever. Um, and she said, be selfish with yourself, your, your time alone. Um, and, and it's okay to say I need a minute. Like I need a day where I'm not doing the job. Um, and she also was like, get some hobbies. <laughs> get things that you can do so you're not just going to work, coming home, and like watching TV and going to bed. Um, make sure you have things to preoccupy yourself with um, and enjoy your life with because it can get difficult. Yeah. Matthew LaPont, I wondered, uh, you know, pulling out a wider view, you talked about uh, how more and more students coming in with this divide in the family that, you know, it seems like the, there were always, you know, the journalism's a confrontational uh um, profession anyway, but it's just getting worse because more people are just not believing what journalists do. On the other hand, you still got young people coming in, uh, you know, with, with that idealism. What, what do you think that says about society as a whole? You know, right around the time that this shift was happening, and it wasn't gradual, right? It was this, this rocket launch of hostility toward journalists, uh, you know, four or five years ago, um, a bunch of journalism schools across the nation reported their highest enrollment numbers ever, spikes in enrollments and applications, students wanting to go into this profession. And I think that part of that is this thing that many young people have where it's like, oh, that's under attack. I want to be a part of that. I want to defend that, right? Um, and so if you believe in you know, the principles that have sustained journalism in the United States for many, many decades, and you see those under attack, it's natural if you're a young person, I think, to say, okay, yeah, I want to be a part of that. The question is how long we can expect those people to sustain that feeling of doing it to protect uh, these principles. 
And I'm, I'm not sure about that, but what I do see every single semester are students who discover our classes one way or another, discover for the first time for some of them something they're really, really passionate about. They love storytelling and they love seeking truth. And they even love, you know, weirdly, they even love the accountability parts of it, right? The, the tougher parts of our code of ethics. <laughs> um, they really enjoy that, and they want to throw themselves into it, regardless of of what's ahead. And I, I'm not worried. You know, I mean, I I know that we're gonna lose some to you know, the hostility and the toxicity and uh, just the exhaustion that comes from all of that and that we need to do a better job of teaching the coping skills that need to come along with this profession. Um, But I don't see a day coming where young scholars say, well, forget it. There's where our department looks around and we don't have any new enrollees. That's I don't see that. I don't see any evidence of it. All I see is students who are increasingly aware of what's to come saying, that's okay, bring it on. Hmm. We'll just have a couple minutes left. We'll give uh, Emily the last word appropriately. Um, I wonder, you know, we talked about the pitfalls, and that's what your piece was about. Um, But let's let's end on a happy note, uh, shall we? Tell me about what you'd like to accomplish. You're you're about a week away from graduation, right? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, take one of these offers and off you go. What do, what do, looking down the road, five, ten, or more years? What do you hope to accomplish? Yeah. Well, obviously, I would love to to tell people's stories um, and to do do the work that I've done um, here at the Statesman for three years and in my classes for four um and i i talked to you a little bit about this before but since making the podcast um i kind of discovered a love for doing radio podcast things so um i've talked to future employers about um being able to do that kind of on the side and they're all super stoked about it so that's good um but ideally for me i mean 10 15 years down the line I'm still working at a publication somewhere and doing radio stuff um, and talking to people who appreciate me and talking to people who will criticize me and really looking and digging for for the next story every day. Well, wonderful. And uh, congratulations on your upcoming graduation. Thank Good luck. You. Good luck with everything. Emily White has been with us. We heard her uh, podcast episode uh, titled The People Behind the Byline earlier uh, in the program. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having me. And Matthew Lapont is a USU Associate Pro- uh, Professor of Journalism and has joined us as well. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Tom. And Emily, I'm super, super proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah today.